0: I have a a simple rule with what I've built. When they're my companies, it's my ass on the line, so they're my rules. But when they're other people's companies, like the great startups that I get to work with, it's their visions, their passions. I'm there to support them. I'm there to be a turnkey resource for whatever needs to be done, a utility player. So I know what they need because I needed it for most of my career and I I didn't have it. So it's Mm. very rewarding for me now to take all of my learning experiences and help guide these companies to success and be a complete soundboard and resource for them and keep it fun for them. At the end of the day, make sure they don't dilute themselves out of their own company get off this BS, raise money, run out of money, raise money, Mm -hmm. run out of money, hamster wheel, because you can't be half pregnant. You're either out there raising money or you're running your business. You can't do both at the same time. So I've been through hell and back. I made every mistake you can think of, and I'm honored and excited to share those experiences with the great companies that I get to work with.
1: Welcome to the Mod Golf podcast, my name is Colin Weston, I am your host, and today I have a guest who, is someone I just met a couple of months ago through Hype Sports Innovation, who I've been involved with, and that gentleman is Brian Esposito, who is the founder and CEO of Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. And Brian was part of an Ask Me Anything Q&A session that we had, fireside chat, and once I got to know Brian on there, and Brian, so generous with his time. So thoughtful with his responses and so patient with all of the, the sea of sport entrepreneurs that were on that call, just clamoring for his attention. And afterwards, I just reached out to Brian and was like, just love the messaging, love what you're doing here. Let's talk about how everything that you're doing relates to the industry of golf. And I have to say with uh, Esposito Intellectual Enterprises, which Brian's going to talk about a little bit here to, to fill out what exactly he's doing and why he does it. Wow. The range is broad here from manufacturing, retail, hospitality, and hotels, restaurants, oil and gas, aviation. I can keep going on and on. Film, TV, music. It's it's, it's blowing my mind here. And he's doing some very, very interesting things in the sports space also and how it's going to relate to golf. So with that very, very long introduction... Brian Esposito, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Are you kidding? Thank you for having me. And what a lovely, beautiful intro. So, thank you, Colin, very much.
1: It is my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Brian, we don't really know each other too well yet. So, I'd love to ask this icebreaker question because I have no idea if you hate golf, if you've never picked up a golf club, if you're a scratch golfer. Maybe in another life, you were uh, on some pro mini tour or something. So, hey, Bring us up to speed on that. What is your connectivity to golf? Do you
0: play the game at all? Have you ever picked up a club? And what was your first golf experience ever if you did? Absolutely. So, love the sport. Everything about the sport. Some of the best movies ever made were uh, about this sport. So, huge fan. I grew up training to be a baseball player. That was my desire and passion. So, a lot of baseball players and a hockey players can connect with the fundamentals of golf and that strategy. So, played as much as I could. Unfortunately, during my career, during certain parts and most people that have had ups and downs, during my down moments of my entrepreneur career, I didn't like anybody enough to go and play an eight-hour day of golf with. <laughs> right. So that set me back a little bit. But I fixed that. I've overcome that. I love people and I love helping people. So I've been back on the course a couple of times last year, which, which was great. Unfortunately, my time management... Not the best for my personal life, so I have to work on that. I'm, I'm a worker when I'm bred to do. I'm bred to work. But I do apply a lot of the learning experiences, the skills and the strategy from baseball and things like golf to my professional career. Because like anything else, it's your own mind and your own head that can help you succeed or, or fail. And there's nothing more against you in the game of golf than than your mind and your own, your own head. So it's funny how you can compare business uh, strategies, professional career with most major sports. So um, I apply as much as I can for my sports career that I had.
1: There we go. There we go. So I'm just intrigued of what you've built with EIE, and this is an overnight sensation, 20 years in the making here. So you are an entrepreneur that has done many things, has pivoted many times. So why don't you tell us, first of all, what esposito intellectual enterprises is and your why i love your tagline here that time is our most precious commodity i truly embrace that don't always live that to my best of my abilities with lack of focus as an entrepreneur but i do my best so around that mantra tell us about what you do and what gets you out of bed in the morning
0: yeah of course I love how you touched on overnight success. Uh, A few years ago, I wrote an article, the 7,582nd night of my overnight success. Now I think (laughs) we're up to 12,000. You brought a flashback back. But again, what I've built over the last 20 years is a holding company now, wholly owned by me at the top level. Underneath that, there's well over 95 companies that accumulates over 200 joint ventures around the world and proudly operating in 25 different industries, some of which you mentioned in the intro. That continues to grow as I start, acquire, build, or um, merge with new companies and projects. And then as you heard on our hype call, a lot of startups, even at the Fortune 500 companies, want to bring me into their organization so that ecosystem continues to grow and build from all the hard work that I've put in place. And the easiest way to look at it is it's an old type of GE type of structure. It's a Berkshire Hathaway type of building companies that generate earnings and grow from those positive earnings. It's a suite of what I think is exceptional IP technologies, products, solutions, and services. That is run by exceptional management, and then all of that is protected by what I hope is best-in-breed accounting, regulatory, compliance, legal. We even have a private security division that protects a lot of our key IP and key personnel. And then that is fueled by great investment banking partners, strategic capital partners, and private banking partners. So it's a one-stop shop, turnkey resource. So when I get to work with some of the startups, so you know, one of which is Devour, was on the call that you were on. They were yes. asking great questions. It's the future of Web three dining and connecting this Web three environment, this gamification of food delivery, and helping these brands and these F and B brands connect with communities, move more food and get them delivered in a fun and exciting way. They brought me on to their company within days after that call and the structures, it's very exciting when you look at what I'm holding. I need to help these companies generate value. I need to boost their balance sheet. So think of it like peanut butter and jelly what am I holding that makes a company like Devour more profitable? What can I open up for them that they didn't have access to or they didn't have the relationships to? How can I get them generating revenues and how can I get them really having fun? Uh, that's what it's all about. I have a, a simple rule with what I've built. When they're my companies, it's my ass on the line, so they're, it's my rules. But when they're other people's companies, like the great startups that I get to work with even up to Fortune 500 companies, it's their visions, their passions. I'm there to support them. I'm there to be a turnkey resource for whatever needs to be done, a utility player. So I know what they need because I needed it for most of my career and I I didn't have it. So it's Mm -hmm. very rewarding for me now to take all of my learning experiences and help guide these companies to success and be a complete soundboard and resource for them and keep it fun for them. And at the end of the day, make sure they don't dilute themselves out of their own company. Get off this BS, raise money, run out of money, raise money, Mm -hmm. run out of money, hamster wheel, because you can't be half pregnant. You're either out there raising money or you're running your business. You can't do both at the same time. So I've been through hell and back. I made every mistake you can think of. And I'm honored and excited to share those experiences with the great companies that I get to work with.
1: Nice, nice. So on the hype call, of course, they are all about sport innovation. That's the name of what they do. You were touching on Web3, you were touching on is how that all is informed by crypto. And of course, as we know, the last nine months or so has been a little rough on the metaverse, crypto, NFTs, all of those type of things. But where do you see, and using Devour as an example again, before we drill down into sports and then even more down into how everything that you've learned, the golf industry and technology and experiences can apply that to add more value. So let's use the Devour example again. Where do you really see the potential of how to harness the value? Because as we know, just from the general public with NFTs and crypto, it's people just look at it, whether it's bad actors and a scam and what's really going on here and $50,000 for some digital picture of a monkey. What's going on here exactly? So let us know where you think now that that space is taking a bit of a pause and now has to mature. I think Mm -hmm. now all the kind of the bad actors and all the, the hangers on are people that really weren't in it for the right reasons are now starting to fall by the wayside let us know through your insights here brian where you think the potential perhaps again using devour as an example uh that gets you excited for 2023 and beyond for this space
0: yeah i've been in this space since the infancy from crypto digital assets nft but under my strategy where i'm not a speculator where i'm buying eth or bitcoin and hoping it goes up mm-hmm. it's been in technologies like blockchain, creating tokenomics and building digital assets within our own holdings as another way of building community and another business channel for revenues and adding value to the company. So that was my mindset for what's going on in this exciting market. I love the way that you can build a community almost overnight if you have the right messaging and the right reach. But in my mind, the NFT, bad actors, even crypto, it's. I look at it like there's over-the-counter stocks, Pink Sheet, NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, S&B. It's no different than that. It's really up to the buyer or the speculator to do a lot of homework and their due diligence and, uh, and understand, is this a sound project? Do they have great people running it? And unfortunately, even if it is a solidly sound project with great vision and a great roadmap, if a community wants to attack it, that's the scary part. It's twenty four seven of under fire. People knocking you, they're calling you a rug. They're making up all this stuff about you that it's not true. And then you start to focus on defending your project in places like Discord, which I think is is just hell. Yeah. If you're going to go on Discord, be very careful. It's, yeah. it's madness. It's it's a wild wild west without a sheriff. You're going in there. You're gonna. It's guns blazing twenty four seven. Right. Right. It's exciting, though, because it's a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, and you got 14-year-olds up to 80-year-olds that are all playing in this industry, understanding it, finding projects that they're passionate about. And that's what you need to do. Find something that you love in this space. Find out if that project has great utility. We've got exceptional NFT projects in our portfolio, but... They're going through the proper regulations. Some of them are security. so they're going to going through proper licensing. Out of the work that we do in the UAE and working with the DIFC and their government agencies, on this is a security. It's a revenue-bearing token. That's what we've called it. So it's transitioning the idea of an NFT in this gray area, whether it's a real regulated security or it's not. That's not how I operate. If it has an asset backed or it generates some sort of return or it has a yield, it's a security. You can't play this. No, it's not. It's it is what it is. You need to understand what regulation is. And I love working with regulators because they're important. They're there to protect people when things go south, and they're there to help guide real financial instruments that are sound. And follow those best practices, you can do a lot of good business. We just made financial history last month with TurnCoin, which is the first of its kind 100% revenue-sharing digital security, Mm. registered and regulated by the SEC, It is rolled out on INX, which is one of the SEC's top exchanges for security tokens. And our operating company, Virtual Stacks, which we've talked about a little bit, it's a way for people to buy virtual trading cards or virtual assets of people. So think of amazing people like Tiger Woods, if we're gonna stay on golf, that have huge audiences. If they were to launch their virtual stacks on our platform, it's another level of proximity and connectivity to their fans. They can have a great liquidity event where their fan base are buying these virtual trading cards of a Tiger Woods, for example. And they keep 90% of it and the platform keeps 10%. All the money that flows in through the platform, Virtual Stacks, flows up to all turncoin holders, which is a registered security. So, on a monthly basis, all of the revenues of Virtual Stacks flow up to all turncoin holders. So, that's it. That's our revenue. It gets distributed throughout all of the holders. The company holds X amount, the investors hold X amount. That's the operating income, that's the flow of yield and dividends and distribution to the investors. I think we've really built true euphoria for a company with complete transparency, operating on a blockchain, and in a regulated environment. The other business model of virtual stacks, which is extremely important, why I've been involved in this company for almost five years, is players or anybody with talent that is not yet the next Tiger Woods. For example, there's this kid, Marcus Bird, who's 25 years old. Great story came out on him on Golf Digest doesn't have a car, doesn't have a home, but he's playing on the tour and he got to meet Tiger Woods for the first time. Right. In tournament. Something like virtual stacks, even though he's a little more excelled than most players, You can sell your virtual stacks to your fan base, your friends, your family, your golf mates, your classmates, anybody in your local network and turn your social media clicks and likes into dollars. So Mm -hmm. now someone like Marcus Bird, if he's on our platform and he's selling his virtual trading cards to his fan base, he can start to monetize his passion, not have to give up on his dream. If it's a high school player that needs new clubs, he can sell these virtual trading cards to his local network go get a new one wood, go get a new putter, and continue to go after his career and help lessen the burden of the financial stresses and not have to give up on their passions because they then have to go get a job. So we've built something phenomenal. We have the full support of people like Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Randy Jackson, David Meltzer, Vaughn Miller, Cam Jordan, Luke Bryan just came on as our music ambassador and great support, an amazing platform. And it, it's built to help players that are in any sport to continue to go after their dreams and not to give up on them.
1: I love this. So with golf and tennis, those two sports really stand out in my mind that they're just so brutal that it is all performance based. It's not like NBA, NFL, the NHL, even major league soccer and the premiership and the other European leagues that you've got a contract and you're playing that it is performance based. And hey, if you don't make that cut, you're not making anything. So for those second tier or third tier pro players especially with women it's even tougher even though the money now is becoming more equitable and they're still working on that to bring the pay rates up and i know some of these players and it's tough and there are other mechanisms out there for example we had an early growth company called carry which serves more as more as a vc accelerator incubator for players that are coming up so you can invest in them and then they get the resources But what you're talking about here with virtual stocks, it sounds like the athlete can really take ownership and charge of their own destiny a little bit more with what they're doing here and bridge
0: that gap to get them to the next level. And you're not buying into their equity or their future earnings. It's completely popularity-based supply and demand. You start to also become a scout. We all see these amazing talents on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, 12-year-old kids driving the ball mile. You got kids hitting slap shots. You got someone throwing a a baseball 95 miles an hour That's 16, and you say to yourself, that kid's going to get drafted to the Yankees, that kid's going to go on the tour, that kid's going to go to the Rangers, but that's it. You like their posts, you give it a comment, but now you convert that over to virtual stacks where you start to participate in their journey, and by helping their financial resources and lessening that burden and I firmly believe that people are going will perform better and they'll play better if they don't have the stresses of their car payment, they don't have the right equipment, they don't have money for rent, they can't get food or they got their college dorm payment. So you start to bring in money to help them really perform at their peak performance. And then as their popularity grows and then that kid gets signed to LSU, the one kid gets signed by the Rangers, this one kid gets signed to the tour, their pennies on the dollar of virtual trading cards or virtual shares that you were buying are now dollars or they're tens of dollars or they're hundreds of dollars. So you have a great way of rewarding yourself for spot and talent. At the same time, you're really helping fuel somebody's career in a whole new way. Love this. Love this.
1: So let's talk about sports in a broader context here. What excites you in the sport realm, especially in fan engagement, a lot of the technologies that are out there and a lot of the clubs and the leagues the last few years now are really onto this and they're harnessing this and on hype, we've had some premiership teams and the Toronto Blue Jays. We're just doing a reverse pitch session. So they have certain needs as far as fan engagement, what they're looking for in the future. And they're flipping it around and seeing if there's startups that then can fill the gaps or kind of plug the holes of what they are in need of. So, Brian, where do you see this overall in sports? What gets you excited, even with your business and even the potential with fan engagement and some of these other aspects of sport that we're just starting to scratch the surface on here?
0: One of the benefits from a global shutdown is that you you got to see event centers, sports teams, stadiums, even the banking industry, as well as the uh, gambling industry institutional, legendary, iconic industries that would take many years, sometimes decades to evolve and to adapt to new technologies or services and solutions. They were rushed to find new ways to, like you said, have fan engagement to keep money flowing in. So the benefit of that global shutdown over the two years allowed for innovation to be on steroids. Now, what happened was, unfortunately, in a lot of the experiences that I see, great deals were made, great opportunities were made, but then there wasn't the right in-house skills to be able to nurture that technology at Mm -hmm. those IP owners to be able to actually execute on it and deploy it which is okay. It's a learning experience. Same thing with the metaverse and digital assets. This happened many years ago when social media first came out. There was no social media director. There was no online advertising division. It was the marketing guy or girl, okay, now go and promote what you do online. Then it became realized that there's a whole skill set needed to manage that. It's completely different than traditional marketing. So there had to be a social media director. There had to be an online ads director. All these people that understood their lane and how to get that company or that IP's messaging out. So we're seeing that now with the metaverse and a lot of my holdings, one of which MetaLife, we coined Web3 back in 2003. So we, we understand where the future of the internet's going and engagement and Activity, but it's got to be done correctly. I tell more companies than not don't put out a bullshit press release that you're now in the metaverse and you're now Web3 if you're not fully understand what it means. You're Web 2.5, you don't have any in house talent that understand what we're doing. I was on the call, uh, I won't give up the name, but the president of a very large Fortune 100 company, amazing friend. They put out this great press release about them going into web three. I was pumped for it because I was standing by to say, okay, here's some strategies. Let me help you and position you. The person in charge who I love is amazing. Got that gig because they had a virtual headset that they use at home with their kid. That was their experience of Web3. And at least I could have a conversation with them. But that's not the person of a almost $100 billion company that's no. going to be leading <laughs> Web3 forward. So this is a norm. This is the norm because it's part of a learning curve for corporations to understand, okay, what is the plan of my company or my IP or my team going into the metaverse or going into Web3? So I prefer people don't even say it. Don't announce it. Don't put fluff PR. Build your team Start learning about this new norm as far as how do you connect your IP into this world. And the last thing as I touched on the emotions of people in Web 3 and NFT communities and blockchain communities, they're very passionate. And I'll use the word passionate. you can go off on a tangent and <laughs> use your word of how you want to use it, but I'm going to stay with passionate. If you come to the market and don't provide real utility about how you're in Web 3, you are going to have a flood of people badmouthing you and boycotting you in real life. So now that you put out some nonsense messaging about going into Web3 because you're a big brand and you want to be relevant, you're hurting your traditional business and your brand in real life. So you gotta be very careful of how you strategize on going to market. Uh, And we've got great holdings in the metaverse, one of which is Metasport Arena, all based around sport. Julian and Peter, the co-founders, you've probably maybe seen them on Hype. It's all based around the stadium being the center of a city and then building cities around that stadium, just like you have in real life. So you're really supporting the team. Then you're also supporting all the ancillary businesses that flourish when there's a game or a concert in town because all the local restaurants fill up. The local retail has a bump in shopping. Everything has an enhanced moment in that economy because there's a flood of 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 fans going to a stadium and watching a game. So, properly replicating that in the metaverse through companies like MetaSport Arena and actually strategizing a master plan of what a metaverse should look like, how the flow of people going in it, how it can enhance their experience, and not just walking by, oh, here's a Snoopy, there's a hot dog stand, here's a waterfall. Like, it may look cool, but cities spend billions of dollars, master planning the flow of traffic and engagement and excitement. You have to take that same mindset and up to the metaverse. Otherwise, you just walk into chaos. Mm. And uh, and unfortunately, a lot of metaverses, I don't see the actual master planning of what is this going to look like five years from now? It's going to be a mess. So you got to properly strategize how you bring IP into these worlds and how the consumer the user really gets the best experience they possibly can and that they want to come back in.
1: We are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop, where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf. To provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the ModGolf Pro Shop at www.modgolfpodcast.com.
0: You got to properly strategize how you bring IP into these worlds and how the consumer, the user, really gets the best experience they possibly can and that they want to come back in.
1: And I see some organizations and sport events are dipping their toe in that. I know in football in Europe, in La Liga, clubs are, are starting to get into this realm. And I saw for in tennis for the Australian Open for the second year that they are then creating this metaverse-like experience I've only seen it from the outside. I didn't actually participate in it, so I can't see the level of engagement. It seems to me though, that they're trying to unlock the right things of creating community, creating engagement, creating something that also ties in within real time of the real experience and the tournament going on. And they're doing what I can see, a, the, the right approach to that, that it has value and connectivity to the fan base rather than just some, as you put to kind of random things going on there that people are like, well, well why, what does that really <laughs> mean? It's just kind of a hollow gesture. And the other one I want to mention, and golf, and I had them on the podcast a little while ago. I've known this founder for a while, and they were also featured. I'll give them credit as an entrepreneur the Netflix documentary for golf, yeah. you've probably seen with Full Swing that's been yeah. out there. So they were on the last episode because Rory McElroy is one of their investors and it's called Golf Plus. So they have a VR experience mm-hmm. for golf and they did it right. I think you'll like this. You talk about being very intentional about what you're actually building for this community and they timed it very nicely. So for the Phoenix Waste Management Open, this big woohoo party that I've been to a couple of times on the 16th hole, the stadium there, which is unlike anything else in golf, they created a virtual 16th hole that you're able to play in real time while the tournament is going on. And it just went, bam, like it, they, they so really cool. connected. With that in mind, where do you see other opportunities in golf? Perhaps I got to go here now with this, with everything that's going on with Live Golf and the PGA Tour and all of the stuff that swirled around for the last year and, and this mindset of scarcity and everybody wants to grab what they have rather than seeing let's really innovate. I see, Brian, they've really flipped the switch, especially the, the PGA Tour now. Rather than fighting it, they're actually innovating. And with, I don't know if you've seen the announcement over, I guess, in the summer. So about nine months ago now with Tiger and Rory. They formed yeah. their company, Tomorrow's Sports. They are now going to have a Monday league, a purpose-built stadium in Florida that they're going to have a virtual, more of an augmented reality type of a team-based tournament. So with that, everything that you've seen with the connectivity of Web3, where do you see the potential there? Maybe they're doing it in the background already, I don't know, but where do you see something like that as being really able to harness a Web3 experience that could unlock even a greater fan base rather than the diehard fans that golf has already, but a, an audience that could be like 20 times bigger.
0: I like about it making it more accessible. How many people maybe enjoyed watching the sport on TV or they connect with a player through social media, but they don't have the access to a local course, or they don't have the money or the time to go play? I think top golf was instrumental into this movement where you started to get this flood of youth that loved to now play golf they attached entertainment and sport brilliant it's hard to do that in any other sport golf was the right one where it actually worked where you can be a controlled environment you can have some booze you can have some food you can go as a group and have have a blast and that evolution i think we're starting to see continue If there was any sport that was ready for some disruption based upon hundreds of years of what it was and what it still is, it's golf. Besides the clubs and the balls and the designs of the courses, it's pretty much been a very slow evolution as to excitement. Now you're seeing that change, which is great. So in my mind, it's bringing players into the sport that never had access to it, that may eventually actually physically be able to be on a tour or a league at some point. So giving it more accessibility, more visibility, I think it's great for aspiring athletes that want to progress their career and not only be limited to a PGA Tour, thats that would be it, right? That would be a make or break for somebody, giving them options. Um, I mean, you have Arena League and football. These other things have come up to continue to give very talented people the ability to still be professionals, just in a different league. And I, and I think it's beautiful thing that's happening in the sport of golf. Alexis Ahoyne and Serena Williams' husband posted something the other day. He didn't say anything, but he posted a visual of golf being this very respected game. So I hope it can stay like that with a little level and enhanced excitement in other leagues that may come up. I'd like it to stay in this certain persona that it's a very tasteful, I'll use the word classy for lack of a better word. There's something special about that. And I hope that can get maintained as, as the sport evolves and other leagues come up. My own personal opinion is that there's just something really cool and classy about golf. And i like to see that evolve, but I also would like that to, to be kept in mind that it should always stay in that realm.
1: And the work that I do in golf and with our company, Reviver Sport Entertainment, that's something since day one, since 2013, when we first got involved and really knew nothing about the golf industry. We were outsiders at that time. But that was one of the things that we always maintained, even though what we first created out of the gate was more of a American Ninja Warrior meets Red Bull action sports mobile event. And a lot of people thought with the gameplay and the visuals, the event platform we created that we were being very disrespectful. But in fact, we were quite the opposite, that we were then building on the the traditions of the game, taking the best elements of golf. And one thing we got rid of was the course, but bringing in all of these other aspects and trends and patterns that resonate with people from other industries, from other sports, from entertainment, and packing that in and mixing that in together and tightening it all up. So for us also, it's always been respect of the tradition, but also to progress the game forward in that particular way so very curious to hear your opinion on live I'm gonna grind you here I gotta I'm gonna get an opinion one way or or, or not out of you here Brian what do you see that they've done right and what do you see that perhaps there's been some missteps or the opportunities that
0: perhaps they are missing or are have missed I can't give any criticism yet as it's still in its infancy mm-hmm. branding my God, they killed it with branding. So I think they absolutely crushed you with that. I wanted to succeed and I want it to be good for the industry as a whole because more players, more access, more capabilities means the domino effect of more brands coming to market, fueling more jobs, moving more equipment. So there's a lot of benefits for having more impact and more players. I don't want to see it just cannibalize the current space and that's it. X players move over and X players stay here. And then, and then you have the American League and the National League. I don't want to see that. There's so much opportunity out there. There's so many courses out there. There's so many ways to build this industry in a way where it can empower so many more players and the caddies and more sponsorships. So you start You really see a huge impact of an industry that should double in theory. It should Mm -hmm. just be a bigger industry with more power, more access. Then there's a Super Bowl moment where this league's playing this league. So I I don't know what the plan is. I'm not in those conversations. I don't know what the full strategy is, but I, I love what they've come out to bat and doing. And it's easy to do when you have good capital behind you and you got great iconic support. It's not easy. There's been failed football leagues that have tried to come out. I think the Rockball one, if I'm not mistaken, last year or brought one out of bankruptcy. There's the FFL, the Freedom Football League. I know their executives quite well. There's always other leagues starting to try to be created. And, and usually they're ex-players of the other league that move over, or they invest in, But I've I've never seen anything like a movement like Live. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. phenomenal. It does also remind me like the fire Festival. Like there's such a huge movement going on. I hope it's real. I hope it's legit. I hope it can stay. Right. But we'll see. But I would love to see it explode. And I'd love to see that carry over to PGA brand as well. Yeah. Well, it seems like the
1: PGA brand now through what Rory and Tiger are doing, they are now innovating rather than complaining about the situation and, and suing each other. Seeing what Liv is doing, their, their notion of innovation is what I see as twofold, is compressing the gameplay, the shotgun start that they have. So that means that the round of golf, the experience for the fans and the viewers is less than four hours or even two and a half, three hours. which is just that sweet spot for professional sports that we have right now with the NFL, NBA, and NHL as compared to four rounds over four days, eight to 10 hours. I'm a golf fan and even I, I can't watch that. I just, just can't. <laughs> In other sports like cricket that's learned over the last couple of years, and I'm sure Greg Norman being Australian has taken a, a page yeah. or two out of the playbook there, how that succeeded with the Indian Premier League with their teams each having a value of over a billion dollars each in less than 10 years. So they've experimenting with the whole team play aspect. My feel, and I've talked about this in a couple of blog posts, is that's where they see the real value eventually is building up the stories, those heartbreaking losses, those euphoric wins and those rivalries that are created, that takes time. That takes a couple of years to actually build that up, that you actually care and have a fan base and eventually being able to sell each one of those teams off. I think that's where they're going. So it seems to me where they're innovating is still more of a, lack of a better term, a bricks and mortar type of an analog type of a, a play here. Where do you see they should maybe focus or expand on in the digital realm that will differentiate themselves from the PGA Tour Mm -hmm. and also unlock uh, a new community?
0: Think of traditional IP and licensing. Very difficult for the PGA brand to adapt with decades of IP rights, traditional IP distribution and licensing in place. It's very easy for a new league or a new uh, brand like Live to say, okay. Here's our brand, people that sign up. This is the digital rights IP. This is where you're allowed to do. These are our digital rights partners. Here's our Web3 strategy. So all that being built from the ground up is a hell of a lot easier than trying to implement it in piecemeal and it's into a, a system that's been in place for a very long time and, and an antiquated system. I've learned this in the hospitality industry. We have a great brand called EV Hotel. It's the world's first smart IoT hotel mixed with a crypto components. So it's world's first crypto hotel concept, great brand, great engagement and huge community that we're building there. And it was very easy to build a brand based off of crypto and digital assets and NFTs and Web3 from the beginning, opposed to the many years prior when I was speaking about building a crypto hotel with the likes of Hilton and Marriott Group and heads of Virgin Or honored to know and work with a lot of these great people and leaders. But they look back into their systems and they thought, we can't do that. like we, we don't know how to do that. And then they launch, oh, we're now a crypto hotel. No, you're not. Your credit card processing now can take your Bitcoin and convert it to fiat. That doesn't make you a crypto no, hotel. It makes no. your, your payment system able to accept crypto, which is great. That's their idea of innovation. so. The community is like that big deal. I want to be able to tip the maid in in any type of cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to buy my turkey sandwich with my favorite digital asset. And when I check into my room, I want to see all my NFTs around the wall. So that's the type of ways you can really make a big impact. But... It's so hard to do with a legacy company that has set in its ways. And then once it goes to legal, geez, just forget it. Because yeah. they're so risk adverse. So you can't yeah. do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. And the, the exciting people in marketing know what needs to be done. The business development people know what needs to be done. Then it goes illegal and it gets killed. That's why it's adapt or die. And that's why it's hard for brands that don't have a visionary type of CEO or president or leader to say, shut up. I don't care what you think or what you want to do or your laziness. This is what needs to be done. Otherwise, this brand, this league, this IP is going to dissolve and it's not going to continue to evolve.
1: Okay, I'm gonna put you on the spot here again. I'm gonna keep going on with with live. I'm the here, only so. one
0: here, so put me put me on the
1: spot. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you're the only one I had to put on the spot here, Brian. So you're you're kind of stuck with it. So okay, I want to play this little game, this scenario with you here. So with Esposito Intellectual Enterprises and the companies that you vet and then eventually bring on board, I'm sure it depends on what market sector and industry they're in, that you have certain criteria and a scorecard of whether you're gonna take that to the next level. Seeing where Live is right now, if they came to you, hypothetically, and oh, wanted, wanted you to get involved, <laughs> would you look at, from what you can see them right now as even being a sustainable or even potentially profitable business, would you take live on as a client? And if so, well, yes, no, or indifferent and why?
0: Yeah. yeah. So my models, I don't, I don't work with clients. I work as a member of their management team. Yes. Call me today. I'll, I'll fly out to see you tomorrow. So absolutely. I'd be honored. Uh, it's exciting what they're doing. My model's so de-risk at this point. I, again, I made every failure you can think of and every mistake you can think of. My jobs to add value, and how to do that, and strategy, and and ensure that there's profitability, and open up things that, and I'm sure maybe Live doesn't even have this issue, but where where's the value? Where's the opportunity? Not just tapping into VCs that like the idea and they don't care if you make it or not or a hedge fund doesn't care if you make it or not. If you lose, it's a write off to their wins. And if you win, they can brag about you being the one out of 100 that, that was a win. So right. if, you don't, if you don't have the right support behind you, money is sometimes the least important resource. It's mm-hmm. the strategy going forward and it's the value and it's the engagement. I'm, Red Bull's a media company. I don't care how you slice it. They, yeah, and then they sell energy drinks. So wherever Live wants to take this, again, that brand is so powerful. I don't even know how they got that name. What they can do with it outside of golf, I think, is probably going to be even more valuable than the sport itself. And the ancillary merchandise and the movement that a name like that can have, I think it's amazing. And with strong visionary support behind it, because you, you don't want to just do something like this and be like the other players in the sport. If you're going to go out and do it, rock the world, but you make money. Look at SFX Entertainment. Lost a fortune in that company. It was the world's biggest EDM concerts in the world. It sold 400,000 tickets to places like Brazil and Amsterdam. They didn't make any money. How do you not make any money (laughs) selling 400,000 tickets? Robert Sillerman. I backed a lot of his companies. He even uh, did Vigil, which is interacting with TV 10 years ago. Visionaries, brilliant strategies, brilliant ideas no business planner, financial brains behind it. On It's got to make money. You can't just keep going to the well and, and hey, tomorrow we'll make money if you give us a billion dollars today. The only one that pulled that off was Musk, but he also had the name and the power and previous successes to to support that ass. So long story long to your question is, I would love to go meet with Liv and sit down (laughs) with them. And if I can add value and help them and- I want to move a billion live golf balls around the world, and that's what I'd love to do.
1: There we go. There we go. Well, from what we can see so far, unless they've got something going on developing behind the scenes, they seem to have ignored the digital possibilities there. For example, still, even a year two, they don't even have, not that an app will save the world, but. I was very surprised, even out of the gate, that I went to the app store. I was like, well, Liv's got to have an, have an app, and and they don't. So they haven't even done that. So as far as their engagement with their potential fan base, it, it seems like what you do and what you bring to the table, that might be a good fit. So hey, Greg Norman, if you're out there, if you're listening today, <laughs> Brian is waiting for your phone call
0: there. So, uh His son's a rock star, so he was always posts great content on Twitter. So yeah, give me a call. We'll there we go. There we go. We'll drink some shark wine and whatever else you got, I'll wear the entire shark brand during our meeting. <laughs> uh, love this, love this.
1: So hey, you and I are going to jump over to a video call because we have our mod golf YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So all of our listeners here, hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation with Brian, we're gonna switch it up a little bit, ask some different questions over there, as I said on our mod golf YouTube channel. But to finish up here, Brian, any last thoughts here of, of what excites you in the sports space? the connectivity of all the good things you've done over the last 20 years and where things are going, coming out the other side of COVID, that human beings are just built for engagement, hardwired to get together for shared experiences and collective stories. So what excites you in the sport and perhaps the golf space in the future?
0: Uh, I think exactly uh, what you said, uh, the metaverse and Web3 and being in virtual reality, it's, it's at its peak as far as its history. It's exciting. It's another new way of engagement and bringing experiences to people that may have never had those experiences before. So I put that in one bucket, but it's so important to get out there in real life and do real physical things with building bonds and camaraderie with friends and family and loved ones. Those are the things you remember long time ago, those are the things you would take a picture of and you would put it in an album and you would go flip through that album (laughs) and say, oh, that was a great day. You don't really do that anymore. That's something that's probably going to be really missed in the world of being able to sit down and simply reminisce about a moment because you had something physical in your hand. So for me, I always emphasize you can't eat in VR. You can't drink water in VR. You can't, buy and put on real clothes in VR. You have to go out and do those things in the real world and having a healthy balance of both, I think is extremely important, especially to your mental health and wellness and doing things, running out and play, throw that phone aside. Don't look at it for a few hours and go enjoy life because it's, if we learned anything over the last few years, it is very special. Time is our most precious commodity get out and do things and meet people and build wonderful experiences. And then when you're not with them, you hop in the metaverse and whether you're hundreds of miles away or thousands of miles away, you can still have that connection with them.
1: Love that response. Love that response. Well, why don't we finish up with that little nugget of wisdom there, the little insight for all of our listeners here. Uh, before we leave here, Brian, why don't you let people know where they can learn more about all the good things that you're doing with Esposito intellectual enterprises?
0: Absolutely. So uh, please anybody, um, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter is what I use primarily. Brian J. Esposito. Uh, As you know, I get back to everybody as quickly as possible. The corporate website is eie.rocks. So eie.rocks. Yeah. Come check out some of the great companies that, that I get to work with. And again, ask me any question, I get back to you and I honor people giving me their time. So they deserve and are entitled to some of mine in return.
1: Well, I certainly feel honored uh, and grateful for you sharing your time and your insights today with me, Brian, and our audience. This has been great. And once again, the power of community, I will say with hype and others out there of just having these opportunities online to then, as we've had to do during COVID, is build relationships online and, and then take it to that next level that you and I have done still in a virtual sense. And I've got to say, I'm sure if you've had this experience too in the last little while, that I went to the PGA show last month and I met people for the first time. I, don't, I haven't ever met them. I consider them good friends. I met them a thousand days ago and just to meet them in real life, just that that endorphin it's rush, that dopamine drip that you get is just amazing. So I do agree with you completely that it has to be this balance between our online lives, but also to make sure we put that phone down and have real conversations and meaningful engagements with, uh, with human beings. So so with that, hey, Brian, thanks again for joining me today on the Mod Golf
0: podcast. Thank you, sir. Have a good day.
1: So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you'd like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.